Welcome to Welcome Heart, Living a Legacy Life podcast. My name is Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of welcomeheart.com. What better legacy than to open our hearts to God and open our lives and homes to others? Jesus said, love me, love your neighbor. Sounds like a legacy life to me. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. I'm so happy today to introduce you to my new friend, Chris Martin. He is a content marketing editor for Moody Publishers, which I'm sure you've heard of. And if not, look it up. Chris Martin also has written many articles for the Gospel Coalition, and he's written a great book, which um, will be out by the time that this is published. It goes out in early February, and we're going to be talking about that. So Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Praise God for... um, young fathers and tell us a little bit about your family, where you live, perhaps your work, and then we'll get into your book as well as the legacy questions, because I know that those questions will fit what you are working on every day. Yeah, sure. So um, my name's Chris Martin. My wife, Susie, and I live in suburban Nashville, uh, just southeast of of Nashville, Tennessee. We're originally from Northeast Indiana. uh, So we're both from the city of Fort Wayne, Indiana, and we both attended Taylor University, which is a oh, Christian yeah. liberal arts school there in the cornfields of Indiana. Yep. And uh, so so we both uh, attended there, graduated in 2013, and moved down to the Nashville area as I started working at an organization called Lifeway Christian Resources. Worked there for seven years and, and enjoyed so much of my time there and, and interacted with so many great people and mm. grew and developed as a person. I earned, earned my master's divinity degree while I was employed at Lifeway. I got my master of divinity degree from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And um, while I was working at Lifeway, was doing a ton of social media work. And even though my undergrad is in Bible and I have an MDiv, um, my work, my career has always consisted with the, inter- the intersection of digital content and faith. So, so much of my career has really been, how can I help Christian publishers uh take their Christian publishing efforts to the digital space in a more effective way. So some of that has been coaching executives on how to run blogs and how to run social media. Some of that has been coaching authors on how to do just that. Mm -hmm. And some of it has been uh, creating digital resources and and ministries, which is what I do with Moody Publishers now. Mm -hmm. I serve at Moody Publishers as a content marketing editor. I edit some of our books for theology, given I have an MDiv and and have the ability to do that and being a writer myself. But then also I've created a resource called Bible to Life, which is meant to be a a resource library of really like evergreen, helpful resources for people who are searching some of the deepest questions of faith, like why does it matter that Jesus died or Um, How do I know that I'm really saved or things like that? So many people are going to Google for that these days. Uh, And we at Moody Publishers publish lots of books that help answer questions like that. And so we said, what if we started taking some bits and pieces of our books and started putting that online to help people who are searching for answers to those questions? And so I'm really grateful that my day in day out work that I get to do on on my nine to five, I suppose it's really more like a seven to four, but when Mm -hmm. I'm working um, I'm, I'm just grateful that my daily job really does coincide with much of what the book is about, um, which mm-hmm. is just kind of redeeming our relationship with social media and, and using it in a way, uh, the whole social internet, really using it in a way that's glorifying to God and not just self-serving. So my, oh. so my wife, Susie and I have a daughter, as there you mentioned go. in your intro. <laughs> yeah. So we have a daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. and so that, that sets the stage for that. She, she came about in, um, 
right at the beginning of the pandemic, actually, in April of 2020, she was born. Her name is Magnolia Grace. Maggie oh, is such is a great name. Her. Yeah, I yeah. Think, well, you're from the South. Well, now you are, so that's great. Yeah, I wanna, sure. I want to go back, and I do have a tendency to interrupt because I'm interested in that's okay. that you say. So <laughs> I apologize in advance, but I won't again. Um, you said you had, you know, you studied Bible under undergrad. I have a minor in, I think. And, um, and then it sounds like you could have been going towards the pastorate. I mean, I would think your parents thought, huh, what's he doing now with headphones on and uh, working in digital marketing or whatever that may be and social media. Uh, we thought he was going to be, you know, Pastor Chris. So um, it reminds me of another friend of ours, uh, Eric Nibbins, you know, he started in that as well. He has the halfway there podcast. So what changed or was it gradual? Or do you think uh, you think, oh, this is what I want to do all along. I just did Bible because I love the Bible. It's a great question. I actually, this was a big part of the conversation I just had with Eric the other day, oh, good. which if your listeners ever listen to his podcast, they'll hear at some point. Um, Cause it's, it is kind of a, like when I, when I started at um, Taylor University, I actually, my major was English education. So I was planning on being a high school English teacher because what I realized, job. yeah, what I realized when I was in high school, long story short, I, I really wanted to go out and work in Silicon Valley in for like the kinds of tech companies that I write about today. Wow. Because I love technology. My dad worked mm-hmm. for IBM when I was growing up. So like mm. I grew up around technology and he worked from home. So like we were using computers way earlier than a lot of my friends were growing up. And so but then I realized in high school, like I kind of wanted to just go out there and work to like make a bunch of money. And because sure. I thought technology was cool. It was really self-serving was like the main reasons I wanted to go out there. And I was like, I'm not very good at math. And you kind of need no math to do that kind of <laughs> stuff. So, but I had some tremendously influential high school English teachers and they were, they were amazing. All of them were wonderful. And um, they really taught me how to love reading and writing mm-hmm. and um so I was like, well, you know, now that the Lord's kind of convicted me of this selfish pursuit I had to go out West and, and work for all these big tech companies, what do I really like to do? Well, I like to read, I like to write, and I like to teach because I was doing a lot of tutoring and things at that point. So I was like, well, maybe I'm supposed to teach high school English and I love sure. football. So I was like, maybe I'll also coach like the football team or something. And wow. so that was the plan. We got to Taylor. I took a bunch of English classes and realized at the same time, um, I'd grown up in the church, but I was a relatively new believer. I really think I came to faith later in high school. And so I was just starting to read Christian books for the first time. Mm. I was in my first Bible class that like everybody has to take at, at a Christian liberal arts school like that. And so I was like, man, I really find myself more interested in reading this theology stuff and writing my papers for my Bible class than I like reading 18th century British poetry and writing about that. So totally. I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if maybe there's something going on here, but I was actually really afraid hmm. because as an English education major, and I was getting a TESOL certificate to teach English to speakers of other languages. Love that. And yeah, and I was really interested in all of that. And it's pretty clear, like when you're pursuing that degree, you're probably going to do that job. Um, like it's a pretty solid like path. There's not a whole lot of divergence from what you're from what you're doing there. And so it was kind of charted out for me. And I liked that sort of mental security that that provided. So I was honestly kind of afraid, even though I was starting to recognize my interest in Bible and theology. I was like, well, if I change my major to Bible, like, what does that mean I'm going to do? Like, does right. that mean I'm going to be a pastor? And like, I don't know if I want to be like a youth pastor forever. Do I want to be a senior pastor? Mm-hmm. And what's funny is I, my whole definition of what it meant to give my life to like vocational ministry was wholly wrapped up in the vocational pastorate. I don't know why it wasn't 
intentional, but I had no concept that I could go edit books at a Christian publisher and have that be like a ministry of sorts. You know what I mean? Um, and Let so me I, ask you my, this. When sure. you said, I'm, I'm intrigued that you came to know the Lord a little later mm-hmm. than many of my listeners and myself. So when was that late high school, you'd say? Yeah, I'd say junior year. Mm-hmm. Junior year. So I think that gives a different flavor to going to a Christian college like Taylor. Taylor is a Christian mm-hmm. university, right? Uh, for you to look at and, and befriend kids like myself who are raised in the church, um, I'm not even sure what my question is, but I think you were probably good for them because I think uh, we get too familiar. Even now, I don't know how old you are, but you're older than your junior year in high school. And so now you've been in the church vocational ministry a little bit for years. And I think... Um, there's a danger in becoming so familiar with God that he's no longer surprising to us or so wonderful, but what a joy I'm sure you were in those classes and going, wow, I hadn't heard this before compared to those, us who heard it in Sunday school. And I'm not saying that's bad. I mean, I love my heritage. I thank God for it often because that's just who he wanted me to be. Right. Um, But how has that, hmm, I would say, well, you've already explained a little bit how you've thought about vocational ministry, but how does that change your relationship with the Lord in some way? Or how yeah, did it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So I, so I grew up in the church, um, but oh. I, I would say like I was very familiar with the Christian faith, and I would say I even prayed the sinner's prayer when I was in third grade. I remember it, oh. but it didn't, it didn't affect me at all. Didn't okay. like if if we if we look and say we know people by their fruit. I maybe prayed the sinner's prayer in third grade, but I, I was producing no fruit there other than showing up to church. There was nothing to make anyone think I was a believer. Now I wasn't running around as a sixth grader getting kicked out of class and smoking in the parking lot, but I also wasn't doing anything with a mind toward the Lord. Um, okay. You know, I, there, I, I like looking back at myself as much as I can remember myself, I see no fruit of right. Chris when he's a fifth grader, Chris, when he's an eighth grader, it was really when I was a junior in high school. And I was like, oh, this whole faith thing is meant to be this, the hub of the wheel of my life, not, right. not one of the things in orbit around myself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and my own wants. And so, yeah. So like when I got to Taylor, I was quite zealous, I suppose you could say, like I was, I was fired up and I think that made me fun in, in class in some respects and also sure. made me a nuisance in class in some respects. Um, and so, yeah. And so <laughs> it was, it was, it was a good time and it was really mm-hmm. good. And so when I was graduating, it was like, well, I don't really know what I'm going to do, but I think the next step is seminary. So pursued seminary, ended up getting a job at a Christian publisher while doing seminary. And then it was like my, my understanding and my vision for what it meant that the Lord was calling me to ministry, whatever that felt like it was no voice from the clouds, but this feeling that I was supposed to give my life in service to ministry rather than what pursuing other things that I'd been pursuing. It's it started to broaden my understanding of what that meant as I kind of got exposed to the world a little bit more. I was like, Oh, there are other things you can do other than be a full-time pastor and live out a calling of ministry that, that you feel like the Lord's put on your life. So something that really helped me when I was in grad school was, um, a professor said that spirituality isn't a slice of the pie. It's the whole pie. That's right. Which is what you were just saying about, Oh, Christ is supposed to be the hub over around which I live my life. And then however that looks, looks differently. I think a lot of Christians get hung up on, 
well, I'm not a very good Christian because I don't speak right or, or I haven't written a sure. study. I haven't gone to seminary. Let's go into this great book that um, has just come out, Terms of Service, The Real Cost of Social Media. I have a few questions for you, and I'm sure you, you can answer them. Is this going to be a scary book where we're just going to just drop everything because we're afraid of what social media has already done to our psyches? That's a good question. Yes, it will be a scary book for some people. Hmm. Um, however, um, I do not advise at all in the book to delete your accounts and abandon social media. Okay. Um, so the reason the book is scary, and I get this question, I get a question like this a lot, like, why do you write so negatively about social media? because I generally write pretty negatively about social media. And the reason is none of us really have to be convinced of the good of social media. Why? Because we all use it all the time. Mm. Um, we're all pretty aware of the positives and the benefits of social media in our lives. Um, until very recently, really until COVID hit and we all became much more reliant on social media for social interaction. I used to have a really difficult time getting a hearing talk, like wanting to talk about, Hey, I think there are some downsides to this technology Really, um, because a lot of people just didn't want to hear it, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, but now I think it's been a lot easier to have these conversations in the last year and a half or two years. And my view is the reason that it's been easier to have those conversations. The reason people have been giving an ear to a sort of, Hey, let's have a more critical relationship with these platforms. The reason I think is because we've relied on them so much hmm. for so much of our social interaction and community that we've started to finally realize a lot of cracks in them hmm. that they can't really bear the weight of community and um, identity that we've maybe put on them. And so, yeah, the book hmm. is kind of scary, but I don't think, I do not think we solve the social media problem by logging off. I think we solve the social media problem by having a more critical relationship with social media and not explain? ignoring. Tell me that, what that means, having a more yeah. critical. It mean, you don't mean it critical means asking, like, I, you don't mean critical in the traditional sense, like, oh, this is horrible, but you mean to be have more of a critiquing view? That's right. Okay. I think we need to ask more questions of technologies that we've allowed to run rampant in our lives. So for instance, um, all of us, the, the name of the book is Terms of Service for a couple of, there's, there are some double entendres going on here. Um, one of the reasons is because it's kind of a joke that none of us ever read the Terms of Service, right. but maybe we'll read, maybe we'll read, you know, this Terms of Service. Um, and the other kind of meaning is I think there's a Terms of Service that we never click yes, I accept that really comes with using these platforms that... Um, nothing in terms of service talks about the negative mental health effects of social media. Mm -hmm. Nothing in the terms of service talks about the rampant privacy issues. Sometimes in the privacy policies, they do. Sometimes they don't, but none of us read those either. No, we don't read them. So who knows why, you know, we wouldn't even know. That's right. And so all I'm asking for us to do, like one of my biggest calls to action in the book is like when a platform introduces a new feature, uh, let's not just automatically adopt it. For instance, and I, I'm a big privacy guy. Like I think privacy is important. Like data privacy is really important. So Instagram, for instance, they have given us in the last few years, the opportunity to give them our location in exchange for when you're posting an Instagram story, you can put your location on where you are. You can put like the temperature of where you're at based on your location or any number of location-based means of personal expression. And my question is, is giving up our location data and other personal privacy information 
worth the kinds of personal expression that we're trading for that. And I don't know that it is. Um, and, and I think a lot of us should be asking more questions like, how is Instagram affecting my understanding of attention defining my worth? Or how is it warping my understanding of what is beautiful and what is not? And my concern is not that we get the right answers to those questions, simply that we ask them. Um, I think if we're going to allow social media to live in our pockets so vibrantly as it does, we should be as critical, meaning as questioning um, of that platform as we are of anything else we allow to have such an intimate access to us. And, and the last thing I'll say is, I say this early in the book, this is my primary concern, or kind of the thesis of the book, I suppose you could say, that social media was created by man to serve man. And my fear is that man has come to serve social media rather than social media serving man. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is- When I use my Instagram account every day, which I do, how am I serving Instagram? Uh, So there are a few ways um, and and everyone's different. The way that all of us serve Instagram is by providing the content by means that they generate revenue. So by using Instagram, you're giving them personal data as well as um, the, and personal data is not just like name and address. I mean, you're not even giving them your address unless you provide a picture of your address, but like location data, um, you're providing information by what you click on either like comment, share, scroll past, pause scrolling. Like if you pause scrolling over a piece of content for three seconds, Instagram recognizes that and, and registers that in like your kind of personal database. And then they serve us, you, me, ads based on that information. So true. Um, yeah. It pops and, and I mean, up on like, Facebook. It's like, I look at a sweater and it pops up on yeah. Facebook and I looked at it on Instagram. I thought, yeah. Wow. So, this is creepy. So, oh yeah. And, and so that's how that's, I mean, the primary way we all serve these platforms. I think the other way that some of us, depending on how deep we are down the rabbit hole is there are so many people I talk with, and I'm sure you talk with some folks like this. I have felt this way personally. We feel enslaved to these platforms where mm-hmm. we hate how they make us feel. Mm-hmm. We, we hate going on them, but we feel like we have to because like my book won't sell if I don't talk about it on Instagram or my, nobody listen to my podcast if I don't talk about it on Facebook right. or um, I'll miss out on social interactions between friends and family if I don't hang out on Facebook ever. Totally. And so we have this fear of missing out. And we, if like, I think that if you hate a platform like social media, but you feel compelled to use it, you are serving that platform more than it is serving you. Like you have an unhealthy parasitic relationship with that platform that um, you have become enslaved to it because you're like, I don't even want to be here. Why am I here? Like nobody's forcing me to be here. I'm making myself be here, man. That is a backwards way. I mean, these things were created ostensibly to be helpful tools in our lives. And now we're feeling this sort of like anxiety and obligation about using them. Um, I I think that becomes a real problem. Mm -hmm. Um, one hesitation I had while you were talking was that some people might have a hate relationship with a certain platform, but they still need to get over that. They need to get over themselves. They need to realize they're doing it for the Lord. They're not doing it to, to reach a huge platform. I just had a friend say, I, I can't be on your podcast because I don't have followers. I said, I'm asking to be on my podcast because you're a wise woman. And so she needs to real recognize that I'm trying to build her up and whoever listens to her will get a great deal of wisdom from that. 
So how much of it is that we just don't want to because we're lazy or we're embarrassed because, you know, we're not pretty or we've gained 10 pounds through COVID. I've gained the COVID-15. And um, and then and we're over just, you know, it takes a lot of discipline, especially as a promoter, let's say of you, because you're a, not of you, but you are putting out this book and you're being told, I'm sure by your publishers, you have to have a big platform. But what about the normal person who is not a writer, who just likes to use social media to connect with people? How can it be harmful for that person? Yeah, I would say um, it varies person to person. I think that um, there's no there's no like one single way social media is unhealthy for everyone. I think one of the most common ways is that we when using social media, because engagements and notifications are at the center of so much of what we do, right? Like getting likes, getting comments, getting shares, um, whatever, retweets if you prefer Twitter, um, direct messages, those little red bubbles that pop up on our on our apps and give us that dopamine hit. That's by design. Um, <laughs> the 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 caution, the the fear, the concern is that we start to believe that how much attention we get oh. determines how much, how valuable we are. And the same, we start to see like, oh, wow, they got 10,000 likes on that Instagram post. They're really popular. And then we think more highly of them than the person who got a hundred likes on their Instagram post. Mm -hmm. Like the idea, and like you're nodding your head and people who are watching the video know that. And, and like, it's like, yeah, somebody who got 10,000 likes on an Instagram post is probably more valuable or interesting or entertaining or pretty than somebody who got a hundred. Totally. That's not inherently true. Like we have been so jacked up to think yeah. that that's inherently true. That somebody who gets more likes is inherently more interesting, entertaining, or they're thereby valuable. Mm -hmm. That's not true, but it's just kind of understood. Right. Um, and, and so I think that's one of the biggest concerns I have just for the common user is that we come to think that attention determines value. Mm -hmm. um, and we see that that's in like true. the obsession with going, the obsession with going viral, right? Like the right. way you win the game of social media is by going viral, right? You get on the Ellen show or whatever, like that's how you win the game is like, they give you this big check for $20,000. Hey, isn't that cute dog video you posted really cool. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, I think that I think trading, try, trading our privacy in exchange for personal expression is another big deal. We already kind of talked about that, but uh, yeah. So those are a couple of reasons. The attention determining values is one of my biggest concerns. Cause I think it's one of the, it's one of the hardest to detect. It's one of the most insidious, I guess. Insidious, I would say that as well. And especially as parents of daughters, I mean, think of the generation that your little one who's only two is going to face in uh, when she's 15 or 16. I mean, um, what my girls do now, we, you know, we didn't even have when they were in high school. And so, and they're really good social media and they're always telling me how to do it better but mom don't do it that way it shows you're old I go well honey I am I own that I own that I own my age <laughs> but um, for you what do you love about social media and then I'm going to ask the converse question yeah what I love about social media is being able to connect with people that I've never met and would have never met otherwise me like having this having this conversation um having I, I have so many friends and I call them friends that I first made on social media and with whom I have probably 80% of my interaction in a given year on social media. And then another 20% will see each other at a conference or we'll right. go over to some their house because they live <laughs> a state away or something like that. Um, 
I think it's a tremendous gain, a tremendous value. And also the other thing I love about social media is being able to come across not just the people, but the things people create. So reading articles on the Gospel Coalition or watching videos of really thoughtful YouTubers, um, they're watching really funny TikToks of hilarious, creative people. And dogs, um, dog stories. My husband loves Right, them. right. And so, so I think there's, man, I just love, I love experiencing people's creativity via mm-hmm. social media. I think it's tremendous. I think it's wonderful. I love that. Um, before I forget, I wanted to ask you this earlier experience. I'm going to write this down. Um, you said at the beginning, uh, as part of your work, for Moody is that you were listing out different, a compilation of different answers to different questions. Do you have a resource link that you could give our listeners at the end of the show, or you could yeah, send, totally. it, send it to me and I'll put it in show notes. Cause I think when you said that, I imagine a lot of people are going, well, where do I find that? So yeah. if you would remind me or just send it to me when we're done, thank you so much. Of course. So what do you- I'll even mention it. I'll mention it briefly. It's Bible to life.com is what it's called. If okay, anyone Bible. wants to search it, but I'll send it to you. Bible okay. to life.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. And that's a free resource. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we already know what you hate about it, but is there something we have <laughs> missed? I mean, I hate the fact that I feel less value when I see that's a big, yeah, I call them Christian celebrities, bigger names, you know, I was, um, I love Jen, well, I can't remember her name now. Oh, Jenny Allen uh, from If Gathering. And she posted that she'd spoken to 10,000 college kids. And I was sharing this with other podcasters. I go, wow, she got to talk to 10,000 college kids just yesterday. But uh, Mark and I just adopted one Cal Poly student this week and had her for dinner. So does that mean I'm less? Well, of course not. Jenny would be the first one to tell me I wasn't. But you immediately think, wow, she has 10,000. But of course, she didn't, feed, she didn't feed them dinner. I at least fed them dinner. And so then you go back and forth. And, and you know, comparisons are odious, as someone famous said. But as Bob Goff told me, he said, but comparisons are good for inspiration. So maybe I need to have two college students over next week instead of just one. But um, I can see how the comparison issue in regards to our worth could happen to all of us. We go, oh, wow, she's, you know, she doesn't dye her hair and she's, you know, she's younger than I am. It's just, or older or whatever. So those things are bad. Can you think of something else that you hate about it? Yeah. I mean, I don't like how we prefer, we pursue affirmation instead of truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think you see that in the prevalence of like different fake news and conspiracy theory problems, conspiracy theories and fake news have existed long before social media, but anybody who denies that social media poured gasoline on the fire would be fooling themselves. So I think, I think that's a really serious problem. And I think it's only going to get worse, frankly. I think the polarization, the tribalism, because here's the thing, like I mentioned this in the book and I don't need to get too technical, but what people need to realize is one of the biggest things I come up against is like people will say social media is a neutral tool and we just use it for ill because we're sinful people. And Hmm. I used to think that, I used to think that, Um, But I think what people don't understand is that social media is a tool created by sinful people as well. It's bent towards, it's not like a blank slate tabula rasa um, kind of deal. Uh, We we have, we have a bent, we're sliding towards sin on social media to start with. And the, the reason is on from, from a brief technical perspective is the algorithms that drive what content we see, like the mathematical equations that decide the content that we see on our feeds have been proven by researchers who know how to do this code and math stuff better than I do. And they've published in papers that these platforms deliver more divisive and polarizing content than anything else because it drives more engagement from users. 
and keeps people on the platform for a longer period of time than content that's not divisive, encouraging, and, and overall more positive. Facebook's own research has shown this, and they wow. tried to keep they tried to keep it a secret. The Wall Street Journal brought it to light in 2020. Um, so what people need to understand is like if you if you ever log on to social media and you're like, man, it's so negative all the time. Like why is it like people are just mean? And obviously we've experienced through different seasons of life and politics and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you ever feel that, know that it's not just because people are jerks. Um, but the the literal math the math at the base of the equation and the algorithms that determine the content that shows up in our feeds is designed to deliver the most controversial content. Hmm. I Um, knew I hated math for a reason. I know, right? Same here. You and I are on this together. So, (laughs) um, so I think that's what we need to realize. And I think a lot of us just don't realize that the platform is like really stacked against us. And, And this is kind of universal. The ones that are more driven by algorithms like Facebook, and Instagram are, are more guilty of this than whereas Twitter can be more chronological. Um, so it, it varies platform to platform. But generally speaking, I, I think what I really don't like is that um, these platforms are designed to make human flourishing harder. It's okay. like, it's what I, what the way I've described it before is the more Facebook flourishes, the less their users flourish because wow. Facebook, Facebook makes more money when people are more divisive, Facebook makes less money when people are less polarized and less divisive. And so the, one of the main reasons I, I really do hammer Facebook a bit throughout the book and generally in my ministry and writing is because they even have internal research that has shown that this is true. Wow. And yet they still continue to choose profits over people as the Facebook papers revealed in 2021. Well, I have uh, some wonderful Christian friends who work for Facebook, so I, we just need to pray that they're more salt and light. Going back I, to the first, se- first sentence, um, when I asked you, what do you hate? You said how we pursue, and I didn't write that down, instead of truth. Do you remember what you said? Do I need to go back? Uh, affirmation. How we pursue Af- affirmation. Instead of truth. Affirmation? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah. All right. Going to, on to legacy. Uh, quickly, I'm sure you've already shared what your legacy is in general through this book, but you're just beginning. You're what, 30, 35? You have a long 31. way to go. There we go. I knew, I knew that would be young. Um, so what legacy thinking about right now? Because my the whole idea of this podcast is so that people realize at 31, they don't have to wait till they're 69 to start living their legacy or waiting till after they die. So I'm talking about what do you do now that you are, what are you doing now? Are you hoping you're doing to leave the kind of legacy for those who know and love you? What I would say is the real driving force behind everything I do, um, whether it's my day job, writing this book, writing about this stuff weekly in the newsletter, is trying to keep a clear understanding of what my gifts are and how the Lord has gifted me. Um, And anybody who's been a believer for a little while knows that we're given gifts by God to serve others, not ourselves. And so the question I'm always asking myself, and it's, it's a daily or, or like monthly, you know, it's a regular evaluation because our gifts shift, you know, like our interest in gift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I'm always asking myself, how am I gifted right now? How am I positioned in my context geographically, professionally, and how can I best use my context, my gifting to serve other people near me? other people 
globally through a, a book project like this. And so I really my my North Star in a sense, other other than Christ and like just trying to become more like Christ is how can I use the gifts God has given me to serve mm-hmm. other people as best as I can? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I suppose like my, the legacy I hope to leave is, is that I did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, more specifically, this book is dedicated to my daughter, Magnolia Grace. And it says in the dedication for Magnolia Grace, this is why. And some people will surely look at that and not really understand what it means. And I, I think there are a couple meanings to it, similar to the title, um, but most specifically, the meaning is uh, when one day in too short of time, but probably 10 or 12 years from now, she's begging me to get on whatever the new social media platform is when she's 12 or 14. Mm -hmm. I'll hand her this book. I'll say, no, honey, I'm not letting you get on TikTok too or whatever. And (laughs) yes. And uh, here, read this book I wrote when you were a year old and turn to the first page and she'll say, why are you saying no? And it'll say for Magnolia Grace, this is this why, is why. I'm saying no. <laughs> uh, so that's just like, saying because I'm your dad. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So my legacy, I suppose, is I hope to instill as best I can this sort of careful, critical relationship with the social internet and my daughter and any future children I have. Okay. Um, which is a little bit different than the first legacy. The first legacy was knowing your gifts. That's your right. Gifts, your gifts right now happen to be writing and talking about this particular subject that could change. So I just think, I just love that. I think it's a great general legacy that I don't hear much on this night. This is a hundred and I don't know, 65, how many I've done of these. I have, I have not heard this one and well, it's specific, you know, it's specific. And I think every man and woman listening today might be going, Hmm, I don't even, first of all, I didn't know I had gifts. Um, or I know I'm good at knitting. Does that count? Or um, I used to be good at this and I can no longer do it because of my age or failing or COVID or whatever. Uh, and so there's all these little stirrings up of, hmm. And I love that because God wants us hmm, more than just once a month. But the fact that you do that regularly, like, is it, is that in a planner where you go, oh, today is the day to find out. Am I eval- to evaluate, have my gifts shifted and do I switch jobs even? Sure. That's a really great question. It's not like a daily thing. I, I, I mean, it's, it's something I'm always kind of, it just weaves itself. Like it's, you know, if I, I regularly get emails, I'm not trying to like flex here. Okay. To anyone listening, no, no, but like no. I'll get it. I'll get an email about a speaking engagement or a writing opportunity or a, or a contract, like a consulting gig. And I, every request for work or help, I read through that lens. I mm-hmm. like, is this within the gifting that I currently am sensing? Is this a good idea? Like this book idea for terms of service came from a friend who knows me well and said, I think you have a book in you on social media and its effects on us. And I said, you know, let me think about that, pray about that and see if I think you're right. But I think you might be right. And Mm -hmm. and so that was me. Like I went back and I was like, where am I at positionally? I'd kind of taken a break from writing at the time. And I was like, "Am, am I ready to do something like this? I've been thinking about this topic for a really long time. And so anyway, so it's, it's almost like a, as opportunities for different projects or things arise, mm-hmm. it's a question of, am I currently gifted? Do I feel like I'm in a good spot to steward this opportunity effectively mm-hmm. for the Lord and for whoever it might touch? Like right now, for instance, I, so we're releasing Terms of Service. I'm in the weeds of writing a second book that's similar that will come out in oh. February of 23. Wonderful. And it's specifically a similar topic, specifically for 
those who are discipling other people. So okay. it's kind of like social media is changing the people you lead more than you are. And here's what to do about that. Mm -hmm. And so, but when that one's done, like I went right from writing terms to writing this second one, when this second one's done, I'm going to kind of sit for a minute and do exactly what we're talking about and say, okay, I've done these two projects. Let's, are they helpful for people? What, what are people who read them? Are they saying they could use a specific piece of guidance within this realm? Sure. Are they saying we're sick of Chris? We're done. And, and am I, am I feeling like, <laughs> yeah. Lord, I think I've said everything I can say here. Right. Um, and so it's really like a project by project is the best way I would mm -hmm. describe it as a sort of like, if a new job opportunity came up and that sounds really cool, sounds like fun, but does it fit how the Lord has gifted me? And so mm -hmm. that's just always, and that's where man having friends and accountability partner, like I have a great community group of, of friends, other couples in our church who I can just go to, like, I, I can take anything to even the elders at my church and say, Hey, do you guys think this is good as best as you know me? Do you think this is smart? So anyway, that's a little bit on that. I just think that is so incredibly valuable. Number one, to have community. I'm already, I'm always about better, better together. But when I get an opportunity through the years, I've been mentored by the same wonderful gal for 20, 25 years, maybe. And so I would call her and say, Lori, I was asked to do this. What do you think? And she'll say something very general, not as specific, perhaps, as what you were saying, but she'll say, well, it has to do with the word or it has to do with people and they both last forever. Therefore, it's a yes, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. And so um, and then if I really wanted to tell me what to do, she'll tell me what she really thinks. But the idea is, is that we are this is where this podcast came from, that we live a life that counts because we don't know if we're going to have another day. And so the fact that you're doing that at 31 uh, will make your life so fulfilling. I'll just tell you that right now. And, um, and also uh, the fact that you're malleable in God's hands. We don't have to say, well, I'm an author now, so I'm only going to write books. You know, like me, I said, well, I'm really a speaker. So do I have to write? I'm really a speaker. Do I have to podcast? And then the Lord doesn't tell me to shut up, but, you know, in a nice way. And so I think this has been so valuable and I appreciate your time today. Was there any last bit of wisdom you wanted to leave with my listeners? Oh goodness. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy hanging out and, and speaking with you. And I hope, you know, the biggest thing, I guess one thing I would say is if anyone listening decides to pick up terms of service, um, know that the book is not uh, lilies and flowers and bunnies. Um, it, it's a sobering book. Um, and, and know that I think, um, I think that we're just at a stage in our relationship collectively with the social internet and with the social media that lives on the social internet, that we should just ask hard questions. You know, we should define the relationship and, and not get the main, the main reason I don't advise anybody to just log off and delete their accounts is because it's social media is inescapable. It's the water in which we swim. My grandmother is 88. Um, she, she and I talk every Sunday. She regularly tells me about con she's never been on the internet in her life. She regularly tells me about stuff. Her friends told her that they saw on Facebook, some of which is fake. Uh, uh and she, she relays it to me all, all mad. And I'm like, grandma, I hate to tell you, but I think you've been tricked. And she, she doesn't even understand the concept of being tricked, fake, mm -hmm. fake stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, interesting. So what I, so that would just say, if you look at, don't hear this book or hear me as social media bad, stay off social media. Hear me saying social media is really valuable and really great. I just think that we should have a more careful and measured 
relationship with these platforms and recognize that they may be changing how we think, just like we said, the value bit, the affirmation and the attention. Um, we should just have a hold them at an arm's distance and maybe not embrace them so closely and intimately as we have. So that's all I want to say. And, and I hope it's helpful for folks. It is helpful. And I was wondering if in the book you have a page where it has a list of questions, because you've said more than once, we need to have the capability and the awareness that we need to ask hard questions of ourselves and of this, of our relationship with social media. Do you have a page like that? Or is that just throughout the book? I would say it's just throughout the book because okay. each chapter is a bit of a different topic. And okay. so um, there's not like a single page that says, here's all the questions you should be asking, but you know, here's a question you should ask in relation to privacy. Like, do I need to give up this information? Here's okay. a question you should ask in relation to attention. Um, is that person more valuable because they, you know, do, am I finding my worth in how many likes I get? So I would say based on chapter and topic, there are questions kind of strewn throughout. Okay. That is terrific. Well, thank you for your time and God bless you. Sure. Of course, you as well. Thanks. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.